0: Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, VineyardTrueNorth.ChurchCenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard.
1: We've been in a, in a series on church culture where we've been using this illustration of cups. Um, viticulture, which is the culture of vineyards and wineries, what they'll tell us is uh, when we pour wine into a certain container, we will experience a different taste. And so... In viticulture, they want you to have a wine glass so that you could experience the best robustness of the flavor of the wine. And we've been talking about how this illustrates also for the church is when you come to a specific church, you're going to experience the gospel and you're gonna experience it in different ways. And depending on how they present it, you will have a different flavor. How we teach the scriptures, how we talk about doctrine, how we do practices will determine how you experience the way that the Christian faith works. And so what we want to do here at True North is we want to be like the viticulture and have a wine glass. We want to have a container that allows you to experience the fullness and the robustness of the Christian faith. So we've been discussing these four attributes. So if you want to throw that uh, compass on, and we have been talking about these four, oh, oh okay, Well, will go ahead and blank that out for a moment, because I don't want to get there too soon. We have been talking about, we had a compass, so somehow it got lost in our thing, but in our, in our northern quadrant, we have gospel-centered. To our west, we have spirit-filled. To our eastern quadrant, we have practical spirituality, and our southern quadrant is uh, outwardly compassionate. So we've talked in the last couple of weeks about being gospel-centered, that we, our true north of true north, is being gospel-centered. We want that to be our top flavor, but we keep that intention with being spirit-filled, where the spirit of the Lord comes in, he heals us, he moves us, and he is intimate with us. And today, we're gonna talk about practical spirituality. How can we be practical with some of the tools so that you and I can grow and understand what it is to be a disciple of God. I've been super excited about this one. This one I've been thinking about a lot. And so I went to my wife a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago when I'm planning my sermons out. And I'm like, sweetheart, I'm so stoked for this uh, church culture thing that I'm planning. And I'm really excited about this one called practical spirituality. And she turns to me, she says, yeah, I wish you were more practical around the house. I wish you were a more practical husband. And I'm like, well, sweetheart, I'm from California. We're not practical in California. (laughs) And she's like, you've been living here in Michigan for six years. You need to learn how to be practical. And I'm like, well, Albert Einstein said that he didn't memorize phone numbers, he didn't memorize any practical thing whatsoever because he had to keep his brain focused on mathematics and equations, and so he needed to keep space open for him to learn these things. And my wife's immediate response was, you are not Albert Einstein. (laughs) And my immediate response was, I know I'm not Albert Einstein. I have a smaller capacity to learn, and therefore I cannot learn any practical things because I need to know specific things. (laughs) Guess who lost that fight? (laughs) Me. Now, I'm playing, like, that did happen, but it was more in a playful way. My wife and I like to play fight, and we'll have to figure out how not to do that in front of our children when we have them, but. Anyway. I know, isn't it? I hope so. Anyway. The rest of us call it sarcasm. The rest of us call it sarcasm? Man, I, I, I am sarcastic, it's true. Anyway, as I am learning to be practical, I am also excited to talk about two principles that we can be practical, we can have a practical spirituality. The first of those principles is that your spiritual life is meant to be experienced within a community. And the second principle of practical spirituality is that your life is also meant to be experienced as an individual. It is the Christian consensus that you and I are meant to do life together. That's how the church has always been, that we come, we become a part of a community, and we come to encourage one another, to keep, one, uh, keep each other accountable, to push after the Lord. But there's also that reality that you and I are not always in the community. You and I are individuals. And we are responsible for the things that we do. We are responsible to live the life we are called to live. So we're gonna touch these two principles. So to go back and touch on the first principle. The first principle of practical spirituality is that your spiritual life is meant to be experienced within a community. And guess what? What's the best thing you can do to be in a community? Eat. (laughs) I'll answer my own questions, I guess. (laughs) That was good, though. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Go to church. (laughs) That's the answer I'm looking for. Go to church. (laughs) Thank you, Mom. <laughs> go to church. Many people go to a Sunday, and here's a, here's a normal Sunday for normal folk. They come into a Sunday, they walk through the doors, they get greeted maybe by a greeter or a couple people saying, Welcome. They find their friends, they hang out with their friends for a couple minutes, and then the music starts. So they either listen, they might raise their hands, they might clap their hands, they might sing along with the song. And then you will probably listen to someone talk and preach. And then you might be invited to a time of ministry, or you will just go and get refreshments, hang out with your friends again, and then head home. And likely the response is, I don't know if I learned anything today, but I really feel good. And honestly, that is what I want you to do. Of course, I want you to learn what I'm teaching. Of course, we want you to, like learn what we're teaching, but I want you to experience God. I want you to come in, and I want you to like, wow, the Lord was there today. I don't know if I got every ounce of everything down, but I am glad that I feel peace. I'm glad that I feel joy, because that's what this is primarily about, because church is a sacrament. It is something that we do that elicits a spiritual response. The Anglican church says it this way, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. God gives us the sign as, we, as a means by which we receive that grace and as a tangible assurance that we do it in fact receive it. So in other words, it's something we do physically that elicits a spiritual response. So when you come to church, and you have your heart postured towards the Lord, it is likely that you are going to experience the presence of God. Because going to church is a sacrament. And this is what the church has always thought. The early church thought this way. Jesus says it in Matthew 18, 20. He says, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there among them. And of course, we have an entire chapter in the first letter of the Corinthians from Paul where he talks about when the presence of God comes in, this is how your service is to be ordered. Because the early church and the church universal has always expected God to be a part of our worship. He's always expected God to be involved in this. And that's why it's very important that we don't neglect coming that when we go and we're not a part of church, there's something that we're missing that as individuals we just don't get as we would when we're in a community. The writer of Hebrews actually says this. He says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Part of coming to church is feeling his power, feeling his grace, But it's also connecting with one another, encouraging one another as we're expecting God to come. When Jesus returns, all of the evil that we're experiencing will be done away with. And so coming together, being a part of that and encouraging one another is key to staying focused on that result. Which leads me to my second thought with inside of this principle, is that you go to church to experience Reconciliation. So you come on a Sunday, and you experience that peace or that joy, or you have something happen where you are like, wow, the Lord just met me, but then Monday happens. When you go through Monday, something might, something might happen that hurts you, something someone says or does might harm you throughout your week, or something that you do somehow causes a brokenness to be emitted. You do something that's bad, you fall to a temptation, you suffer anxiety and fear, and all of a sudden, shame and guilt just gets compiled onto us. And our reaction is, I don't want to go to church on Sunday. I feel horrible. I don't want to come whatsoever because I feel disgusting. And it might be because something you did or something that somebody else did, but you just don't want to be a part of a community the Apostle James says that's the opposite response that we should have. He writes in his, in his epistle, he writes this in the fifth chapter. He says, are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praise. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church and come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sin, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So when we're struggling, when we're hurting, our first response is, I don't want to be a part of this. Shame, as Brene Brown will say, is the enemy to Uh, to community. When we feel shame, we don't want to actually engage with people. We want to hide. But the scripture says that the only way that shame can be removed is when you come together and confess what actually happened, what transpired. And then we pray for one another and you feel a release. You might be healed physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. And that's one of the reasons that at the end of every service, we have a team of people that come down. It's not just for the dramatic. It's for sometimes the mundane. Sometimes we carry things that we don't need to carry. We sometimes will bring into the church, and because we don't want to be vulnerable, we let that bottle up, and we just become more guilty and more shameful. But there's a responsibility also on the rest of the church if we're going to be a church that actually accepts that, right? We actually have to be a place where we don't shame the person who is broken. We can't be a people who shame people for what they have done because that counteracts the healing process. And so for us to actually see people come down and be set free, we actually have to love people where they are at. And the responsibility of the person that wants healing is to be vulnerable to acknowledge their wrongdoing or what happened to them and confess and allow God to heal them and once you're avail- once you 're at a place of vulnerability you 'll be able to go to church to be discipled because it takes a lot of vulnerability to actually be discipled correctly because let me say this as well, you are not supposed to disciple yourself. That was never the plan. And so when Jesus initiates the discipleship process, Jesus, um, Jesus gathers 12 guys. These 12 guys serve under him. He teaches them everything he knows. And then when he dies and resurrects, he says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey that all that I've commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you even until the end of the age. So what this is, is that Jesus teaches his group of disciples and those group of disciples teach a group of disciples and then generation after generation after generation. We are called into that great tradition where we are to be discipled and we must disciple. And if we don't become vulnerable, we will pass down our dysfunction to our disciples. We will pass down our stoicism where we can't feel any pain. We can't let anybody in. We will not allow certain traits to be administered because I was not vulnerable enough to be healed in certain ways. And when God wants to do a mighty work, we end up substituting that work with our own brokenness. So as a church, to disciple people well, we must be able to submit ourselves to our leaders and submit ourselves to other people who are in, the, in the, their whole role is to train you and to teach you how to live this life. We have two ways of that right now. Uh, David runs a home group in Interlochen. So if you are out in that area on Wednesday night, you do it at 6.30 or 6.00, 6.30. So if you're in that area, we do a discipleship in our home groups that David runs. And we also do something here called Omega on Wednesday nights at the same time at the church, and that's at 6.30. So to go deeper from the Sunday, please engage with David, engage with the people that are here, and you will take that next step of discipleship. And that brings us to our second principle. Our second principle of practical spirituality, is that your, li- your spiritual life is also meant to be experienced as an individual. As an individual in the kingdom of God, you are responsible for your growth as a Christian. Being a part in your community is very important to the Christian life, but you are also called to pursue God for yourself. That means, as an individual, you must take responsibility for your action and do as your king commands. First commandment that you must do when you become a Christian. If you are new to this or you have not done the thing I'm about to say, you must do it because the Lord commands it. And that is to be baptized. If you have confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, your next step in this is to be baptized. So if you haven't, get with me. That is the next step. That is what we do. We dunk you and you come out and you are now a new person because you have been, you go down your sins, your death, and you arise to new life with Christ. That's what that is. And so we are commanded to be baptized. If you have not, please talk to me. But as a disciple, right afterwards, you are a disciple. And a disciple means that you are a learner. A learner means that you are to learn and then you are to teach. and So you need to develop some spiritual disciplines. Now, I hate that word, don't you? Mm-hmm. I hate that word, spiritual discipline. Because discipline means that I'm beating my body to do something. Disciplining a child always is like, oh, I'm punishing the child. I'm always making sure that that child is needing to be corrected and pushed, right? So we have this weird word of discipline but let me ask this. A normal Christian, when we're talking about our relationship with the Lord, probably has two major phases. We have mountain highs and we have valley lows, right? When we pray to God, what are the most times that we talk to God? Mountain high or valley low. It is when we're spiritually energized. God, I love you. This is exciting. I love that you're here. You are amazing. Would you bless me? And then when that fades away, as it inevitably does, we kind of stop talking to God, and then we're in the pit. Where'd you go? Why aren't you here? Why'd you forsake me? Please help me. And we end up in these two different ginormous paradigms. Spiritual disciplines allow us to have a middle space, where we don't have these sharp top ends and bottom ends. We're stable. So for the rest of the night, I'm gonna talk about this concept called the four hours. The four hours are four, um, they're just four times in your day to acknowledge God. And we acknowledge God in our personal life through primarily two things, reading our scriptures as devotion or study, or prayer, right? Now, I want to just lay out this real quick tool. Some of you probably have a good disciplinary life, and this is mostly just to help us gather some things. So if you have a good set, I'm not trying to upend your set, but if you don't have something, this is going to help you. And so this is based on an agricultural calendar, based on, like, you have a nine-to-five job. If you don't, you can adjust it as is. But the idea is that we have morning prayer, noontime prayer, evening prayer, and nighttime prayer. And what this allows us to do is we now can posture our hearts towards the Lord during these sections of our day. Let me say it this way. Some of you might be like, "Ugh, that's really mundane. I really don't like that. That's okay. I understand. But let me ask you this question. Do you always feel excited when you're with your spouse all the time? Some of us. (laughs) Don't answer this question, people. You don't have to be vulnerable in here. The thing is, is when you first get married, everything's euphoric and exciting. But there is a point in time in the marriage where that does dwindle. It goes through phases where... There are times where you're always going to love your spouse, but it's not always the exciting, like amazing wowza that it started with. And there's seasons where that changes and it gets reignited, but it's not all the time. But if you don't have some places in your marriage where you're keeping some safeguards, you're going to have a lot of struggle. And so in my marriage, like to keep things like really good, Brooke and I will go on dates. We schedule dates. We schedule intimacy. We schedule these things so that we are connected all the time. That when we fight, we are already in communication. We're already together. We're always working things out. Even when we're struggling, we know that we're going to amend it because we're constantly communicating. If I lose communication in the relationship, it is likely that I'm going to lose the relationship. That is how most divorces happen, is somehow, somewhere, the communication gets broke down, and there is a drop-off where they stop talking to each other, and they distance from one another, and they go from being lovers to roommates, and then it breaks down. These four hours, even though they may seem mundane, even though they might not feel, oh, energizing, They are meant to keep you in a posture towards receiving from the Lord and keeping your relationship with God strong. So what I would say when you start this is to posture your heart towards the Lord when you pray, when you open your Bible. And you're not always going to feel everything. It's not always gonna feel great. The thing is, is, it doesn't need to. Your feelings do not need to be in play here. Your posture of the heart is what needs to be in play here. Because as you do it, God will meet you in it. And you do it enough, and you posture your heart enough, God will be a part of it. And you will experience his pleasure. Much more often than if you were just to go from valley high or sorry, mountain high to valley low. Make sense? So there are four times in the day that I try to keep this in motion. I have a routine where in the morning when I wake up, I don't I I go into my car. That's the first place I am. You might be able to sit down at your, your breakfast table and maybe open the scriptures and have a devotional time and pray. For me, I get in my car, and I set the tone, and I pray on my way to work. I have a notification on my phone at noon that beeps at me. So I take a moment, and I pray again. Then I get home, and about four or five in the evening, I am doing this again. And then right before I go to sleep, I make sure that my heart is postured towards the Lord. Now, this might look differently for you, but I would encourage you to push into this. And I would also encourage you, if you have not done a devotion or if you are new to faith, to open your Scripture and read a chapter a day. Just, And I would say, if you're new to this, start in John. Read a chapter of John every day. Throughout your time. It doesn't have to be all-in-one go, unless it is better in your schedule to do so. But just go through a chapter a day, and then I would also push you to pray the Lord's Prayer four times in the day. I'm going to read that, and I'll describe what I mean. In Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, he says, Jesus says this, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation... deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen one thing that i would tell you to do well not one thing several things what i want to tell you is i want you guys to memorize that meditate on that and recite that and the reason i would say that is because one the lord says this is how you are to pray But when we meditate on it, we can understand the deeper meaning of this. Our Father who is in heaven, He is our Father. He is this familial person who loves us, and He's not just this being out in the distance. He is a loving Father who loves me and wants the best for me. And He's holy, and He's grand, and He's not human, so He's not frail. He's not going to hurt me. He doesn't have the problems that maybe my earthly father did. He is a great father who loves. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom comes down because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God, and now it breaks into our life. So when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're asking is, God, can we experience your kingdom today? Can we experience your peace today? Can we experience your healing today? Can we experience your presence? I am looking to experience who you are and where you're from. Give us today our daily bread. Would you be my provider? Would you help me? Can you give me your best? Can you provide for my needs? And, and, and forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have have debts against me. I need to forgive people because God is forgiving me. I'm asking forgiveness, I'm asking for cleansing, I'm asking him to wash me clean, and I'm also giving mercy to those because God gives me mercy. And lead us not into temptation, but protect me from the evil one. Would you protect me today from bad thinking? Would you protect me today from the things that I'm vulnerable to? Would you protect me today from the things that you know that I struggle with? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as we meditate on this and as we recite it, it becomes not just a memorized verse. It becomes something personal. It becomes something deep. This is what the church has been praying for 2,000 years every day. And the reason it is, is because we want to experience the fullness of God. And we forget throughout our day how good he is. We can have a great morning. I don't know how many times you've had a great morning. By the time you get to noon, something happened. And you are no longer on track with the Lord. And it takes you another week before you get back there. You can have a great afternoon by the time the evening comes. You miss something. Something. So I'm just saying to you as a practical tool to keep this intention with our gospel-centered, to keep this intention with our spirit-filled, we want to have practical tools to engage with God. So I would encourage you to do the four hours.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, vineyardtrunorth.com. Dot churchcenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Finland. We hope to see you soon.